Hey everybody, it's Stephanie with The Learning Project. I'm so excited today. Oh my goodness, you guys. So I have one of my biggest fans um, and I'm one of her biggest fans because she's my mom. Her name is Stephanie Nohul's Beans. Welcome to The Learning Project. We have a very special um, podcast series that's going to be going on. It's called Big Problems, Little People. And we're going to be exploring some of the different uh, struggles or trials that children go through. And how can we really prepare our teachers, our families, our community to help um, children who are going through different things in their life. I think a lot of times when we think about problems, we just think about kids that may be considered like low income or they are faced with different um, ACEs factors. But there are so many different things that can happen in a child's life that really transforms the way they look at um, life. So today we are going to be focusing on homelessness. about 2 million people in the United States will face um, homelessness in a period of time in their life. So I wanna talk about that. And one of the people that I thought of immediately was my mom, just because she does such an amazing job in our community by helping the um, homeless and has helped so many women and children. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Stephanie Nobles Beans. Hello and welcome. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I am very excited about uh, just sharing um, this special topic that is so prominent in so many communities throughout the United States and right here in Spokane. It's one of our big problems for little people. Absolutely. So let's um, talk a little bit more. So now that you um, have been in this field for so long, um, tell everybody a little bit about what you've actually done in the community to help combat homelessness. Well, for the last, I can say, 20, 25 years, I've been an advocate for uh, women and children. Uh, In 2009, I had the opportunity to be active in our community by opening up a transition home for homeless women and children. It was called Fields of Diamonds, House of Blessings. And I I considered these women to be my diamonds and the little people that came with them were my little diamonds too. And during that time, uh, we had 28 women and 25 children live with us over that eight year period. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was really a blessing and an opportunity to see how uh, our house uh, could help these women and children get back on their feet and get immersed back into our community. That is wonderful. Um, How many homes did you run? I just ran the one. It was big enough. (laughs) It was a, a 36 hundred square foot home and um, it was definitely a blessing a gentleman in the community blessed us with the home uh, the backyard was a tennis court and we turned it oh into a children's playground yeah it, it definitely was huge and there's so many great memories that we have shared back there um, so tell me a little bit about yourself maybe something that people don't know um, who do you admire most Oh, my mom, Mildred Marie Coleman Nobles, was my shero 
Um, <laughs> my mother was a woman of resilience. She raised four children, she and my dad, uh, he's my hero. So when people ask me, who are your biggest fans or who are your biggest heroes, it's my mom and dad. They truly had a heart for people. I tell people I'm a PK's kid. If you don't know what that, mm -hmm. that stands for, it stands for a pastor's kid. And they instilled in me the heart of serving. Yeah. Uh, and so I started serving when I was a little girl. I'm now 65. And um, it still resonates deep within my soul that we have the obligation and the responsibility with the gifts and talents that we have to give back to community. And one of those things is I love helping women and children. That's so wonderful. I mean, from the beginning of time of my birth life, um, I always remember you helping someone somewhere. Um, you know, we always used to say, my mom's trying to save the world, you know, but that's literally, you know, who you are in a nutshell is, is a person that will go out of their way above and beyond, have those hard conversations, really be there for people that you know, really need somebody in their corner. Um, so tell me a little bit about your journey going towards getting the transitional home. What exactly happened that made you realize like, oh my goodness, homelessness is a major issue. We need to do something about this in our community because I think so many people realize that there is a issue, there's a problem, but they're really not sure how can we really make long last, lasting kind of effective change. Um, the Covenant House, it is an amazing organization. If you guys haven't um, heard of it, it's called the Covenant House, and they focus on helping people that are in homelessness. 41% um, of the Covenant House, um, they actually are children um, who actually have witnessed um, violence in their home. Um, according to some of their statistics, 36% of the covenant kids indicated that someone in their home or their family uses drugs regularly. 19% um, of the kids that um, have been a part of the covenant house has also reported of being beaten with an object. 19% of those kids also reported that they endured sexual abuse 15% of the children in the Covenant House also reported that someone close to them had been murdered. I mean, there's so many things that they just encompassed in a lot of their just facts about homelessness and about, you know, what has taken place in their little lives. These are the things that kids are dealing with, and it's really difficult. Um, so tell me, what was it that you saw that you were like, you know what? I've got to do something. Well, Fields of Diamonds, House of Blessings was just really, uh, I can say a really a miracle ministry. Um, I had a spiritual mother who said, you know, Stephanie, I really feel that God has called you to this place uh, since I had become a domestic violent and sexual assault advocate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I was always talking to someone who had been subjected to the, the very statistics that you've talked about. And I really didn't know what I was going to do until someone approached me and said, you know what, this, this is the time for you to do this. And so it was so uh, scary because I had never uh, run a transition home, mm -hmm. but I'd been a mother. I'm the mother of four beautiful children and I knew how to be a homemaker. I knew how to run a home. Mm -hmm. And so without further ado, I was introduced to a gentleman 
who said, tell me your dream. And I told him of the dream that I wanted to open up a transition home. And he said, well, give me your vision. Why do you want to open up a transition home? And I always tell people, you know, if you have a vision, the word of God says, write it down and make it plain. Mm -hmm. And I had something literally written down, shared it with him and said, I want to make sure that when women have been subjected to violence, that they will have a safe haven for not only them, but for their children. Mm -hmm. And so in 2009, it actually happened. This gentleman that was introduced mm -hmm. uh, to me uh, went and asked me to go find a house. And I actually found a house, mm -hmm. told him where it was. He came up, he said, is this the house he want? I said, yes. And he actually purchased the home for me. And he wow. said, as long as you do this ministry that you've been called to do, this house is yours. Wow. He said, the only thing you have to do is pay the insurance on the home. And so wow. with, with that in hand, I opened up the home. Uh, we didn't have any money. And like I said, for me to open up this house was literally a miracle because the, the lady who had given me this push, her daughter, who is now with the Lord said, you know, we want to bless you. And uh, we wanted to, to help you get this house launched. Mm -hmm. And so it was so funny on a, on a Saturday, she said, don't forget to check your checking account over the weekend and mm -hmm. let me know the little amount that we gave you. And I said, oh, sure. And over the weekend, I didn't check it until that Monday morning. Mm -hmm. And Monday morning, checked the account and she and her mom and that board of the home uh, donated $60,000. Wow. Driving's house of blessings. So I tell That's people, amazing. yeah. So when you have a passion, you have a vision and you know that the, the dream is bigger than you, you know that it's God that's going to help you do this. And so this was truly a God thing. And so we were launched with $60,000. Uh, we started uh, making sure that we had everything in place as people became, uh, began to come to the home. I don't mm -hmm. like to say clients, I yeah. just had these awesome women and their children started coming in. And so uh, for the next eight years, um, we were blessed to have covenant partners who would mm -hmm. donate every year. Uh, just before our home closed, Numerica Credit Union blessed us with $5,000. Wow. Got to keep this house going. And we did until uh, I, I felt like it was time for me to close. I had yeah. gotten sick. Uh, as you know. And so I knew that it was time for me to close the home. And mm -hmm. it was, uh, we ran it very well. And like I said, we had the 28 women and the 25 children. And, you know, homelessness still is rampant in our community. And so even though the home is closed, I still reach out to the community to help women where I can. Mm -hmm. uh, I minister at the Union Gospel Mission Shelter for Women and Children. Yeah. So I still stay in contact to help wherever I can. In, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, one of the things that you guys may not know is that prior to her starting this um, women's shelter um, and women or women's home, 
Um, she had been doing a lot of groundwork in the community. She started a prison ministry with uh, quite a bit of other people. Um, she started a story time reading for um, mothers who were imprisoned and wanted to read the story to their child on cassette tape back in the day. We're just, <laughs> we're aging um, how old this was. And yeah. they would read a book on tape and they would send a teddy bear with the child. And actually, it was videotaping. We actually videotaped wow. the mothers telling, and we called it story time telling. So that is the so awesome. Actually, read stories to their babies as we videotaped them, mm -hmm. and then we would take the uh, the tape and the book, and the children could read along with uh, their mothers' voices and mm -hmm. see their moms, uh, and it was a beautiful thing. And then the teddy bear. Uh, was for the elderly. Mm -hmm. uh, I still wanted to do something in the community connected to that. So we had teddy bears that we would take to the nursing homes and give at Christmas time. Wow. So I've always wow. been involved in the community. Our latest venture that I do under my women's ministry called Women Ever Rising Every Day to Lead mm -hmm. is that we call it bat Jeweled Bags. Mm. And it stands for blessed and anointed gems. And we take royal purple bags, which is the color of the ministry. And we put gems on the bag and we fill it with toiletries. Wow. That is so awesome. And there's so many people that are actually doing something about homelessness. Um, I want to give a shout out to um, a couple people. Um, t there is a church um, that just actually did this. They took purses and filled a whole bunch of stuff up in it and actually take it out to the homeless. I thought that was amazing when I heard about it. And I think you told me about it. Um, so I thought that was pretty awesome. I want to give a quick statistic. So um, there is a article called The Revolving Door Between Homelessness and Prison. And I just want to bring some clarification um, because I think this is a great leadway into our next segment. So people experiencing homelessness are 11 times more likely to to face incarceration, okay? Isn't that crazy? So, um, but this is, the, this is the flip side here. Formerly incarcerated individuals are nearly 10 times more likely to be homeless. Hmm. Yeah. That statistic, I mean, that blew my mind when I read that. Because really, if you've been in a situation um, going to be locked up or whatever you are so um there's certain statistics that are so high for people and so we need to figure out different resources to help combat that so um what i wanted to do next is to talk a little bit about um how the children in your home were affected and what are some of the tactics that you guys use to help with the trust um the bond the safety, all of those different layers that children need in order to feel safe and secure. I want to thank you guys for listening to this segment of the podcast. Keep going. Go to the next one. Um, I want to really invite you guys out to a couple of things. If you're interested in this series, um, it's actually a part of one of the trainings that I'm doing. Um, if you are in Washington State and you are looking for 10 star hours, you guys, we have to do this every year. It's something that's required by the state of Washington. I would love for you guys to join me um, as we go forth in this. 
Um, I want to thank you again for listening to the short podcast. My name is Stephanie Courtney. I am the director and developer and visionary for The Learning Project. Join us for our next podcast, everybody. We are so excited to have you here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our second podcast by The Learning Project. We are going to be talking about little ones that are dealing with some difficult issues. Um, we're going to be going through this series um, throughout um, our podcast. It's called Big Problems, Little People. And I would like to just introduce our expert on the area that we're going to be focusing on today, which is homelessness. Um, her name is Stephanie Nobles Beans. She's absolutely amazing. And also she is related to me. She's my mother. So I just think she's absolutely amazing, and I'm so excited about her being here today and really breaking down this, um, this, 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 this topic of homelessness. Like, what's going on? How does this all work? What can we do about it? And I chose to have her on our podcast because she had a um, homeless shelter for women and children for such a long time. And I know there's so many of you guys that are interested in maybe starting a homeless shelter or something very similar. Um, Stephanie is going to be doing a um, actual training, a workshop coming up here this year. Um, and it's going to be awesome, you guys. Um, if you're interested in learning about how to build a homeless shelter um, or even some type of resource center, I think she does a great job with that. And she had one for quite a long time. So um, without further ado, Stephanie, welcome to The Learning Project. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Thank the you. Project. Thank you so much for just being here. I appreciate it. Um, we are going to dive into the next part of our podcast. We are going to be looking at um, the effects of homelessness on a child. Um, I want to make sure that we understand that this is not a topic to be taken light lightly. Um, I think it's something that we really need to talk more about, but I think a lot of people are very uncomfortable talking about it. And so we're going to be talking about it in some general ways, but we're also going to dig deep as well. So um, I want to focus on a um, fact sheet that I actually pulled up for Washington State. And this actually is focusing on 2019. Um, and it says that children in poverty in the U.S., it ranges, um, well, actually, let me go to straight to Washington State, because um, I think that way, because I kind of touched about it, touched on it um, in our last podcast series. But in Washington State alone, there's 232,000 children in poverty. That is huge. So the United States overall, we have about 22% of the kids that um, are actually in poverty. Um, and that was a statistic in 2010. But in 2017, they redid this, um, this, this um, statistic, and it actually... Uh, went down to 18%. So we're doing something as a collective whole. And that's what we want. We want our community members to be proactive in this area. Um, in Washington State, um, it actually went from 18% um, in 2000, um, 
yeah, in 2000. And then in 2007, it went down to 14%. I mean, how awesome would it be for us to get to 0%? Like, that would be amazing to be able to say, you know what, every single child um, has a safe and healthy home to go to, and they are secured. Um, so, um, Stephanie, tell me a little bit about, now we talked, we talked about the, the house in itself, but, um, tell me a little bit about some of the little ones that came to your facility and what were some of the challenges that you saw? Um, and I do want to let everybody know, we're not going to be using, um, people's real names to protect their identity, but we want to give you real practical things that you may see in your classrooms or if you run a shelter or you're thinking about running a shelter some things that you may see well you know when you think of homelessness it causes childhood trauma hmm. and when i think about some of the children that came to our transition home because i don't like to say shelters i always mm -hmm. say transition home because we want to make it a home while they're there mm -hmm. but some of the things that affect the children when they came there was a loss of community mm -hmm. uh, their possessions their routines privacy uh, and even when women were in domestic violence situations the security of uh having uh they were highly stressful because they felt unsafe. Yeah. And one of those things, it led to anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. withdrawal. And even some of our little ones were very aggressive. Mm -hmm. uh, we had one child that was staying with us. Um, he, uh, they were probably about six or seven. And um, the, the feeling of not having enough to eat, mm -hmm. uh, they put yeah. canned goods under their beds. Yeah. And I simply asked them the question, baby, why are you putting canned goods under your bed? And they simply said, well, just in case we have to leave. And if my mom messes up, I'm going to make sure that I have food in my backpack. Wow. That's so deep. like that. Uh, or they were worried about something bad was going to happen to their family. If, yeah. if the person that had been exposed to the domestic violence, that the person that hurt them would find them. Yeah. So. There are a lot of emotional and physical responses that children uh, were exposed to. And, mm -hmm. you know, violence in our community, it, even though the statistics are still low, yeah. I tell people one person being abused is still too much. Yeah, they exactly. To eliminate that. And so exactly. uh, what we did is we got mothers, especially those who had come out of prison and uh, really had not been connected to their children for a while. We made sure that they got into parenting classes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there was a, a, a program called Arms Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. Yeah. Women would come that had been victims themselves, but now they were overcomers and they had been trained to uh, show women how to first and foremost to love themselves and to help them show that you have been forgiven and that there is a way to love your children again, how to gain mm -hmm. trust again. Mm -hmm. And then for our children, we tried to connect them, not tried, but we connected them to resources because some of our kids were CPS. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we had uh, CPS workers come into the home, making sure that the home was safe, mm -hmm. making that parents were not neglecting their responsibilities of their children. Yeah. And so we know that when children are exposed 
to adversity and trauma, that they have a high risk of developing health and social and economic outcomes mm -hmm. in their lives. And so we wanted to make sure that mama was on point, mm -hmm. uh, making them feel good about themselves. We had a dress for success closet awesome. where they could go in and dress for success. I myself am, am an expert in writing uh, resumes and uh, cover letters. And so they were able to feel uh, that they were successful. Yeah. One of the things that was a blessing to our home is that if the women finished the program, we had about five cars donated to Fields of Diamonds. And the woman that would finish the program uh, would get a car. That's so awesome. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about um, how long can they stay in the home with you? Because I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, typically, most, um, most, um, I would say, um, transitional homes, um, you could only stay there for six months, three months. Um, how long were they late? Women able to stay at your home? They were able to stay a year. Wow, that's awesome. As long as they stayed in the program followed the, 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 the principles and the regulations of the house. Uh, the, and, we, and, and like I said, out of the 28 women, uh, basically most of them almost completed the program. We had a few that were there for a few weeks, yeah. a few months. But for those who really committed to the program because they came to the realization that it was not only about them, but their number one priority was developing a better life for their children. Absolutely. So, uh, it, was, it was a great program. I, sometimes I really miss it, but I was like, there are other uh, transition homes that I know that are evolving in our community. And so when I find out how I can be a part as a volunteer, just to give some, some information on how yeah. to run a transition home, I try to make myself readily available for that. Absolutely. I want to touch on something that you said, which was your little one that was like storing food just in case something happened. Um, we want to tap into psychology right now, you guys. So I want us to look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if anyone knows of this, but if you don't, I want you to look it up. Um, and if you're in the class, you're actually going to be able to see a document, um, read through it and actually answer some questions that are going to help you re like really think about um, children's needs. So Maslow um, basically came up with this um, motivational theory in psychology and, and basically said that there is five tiers and children need certain things in order to um, be successful individuals um, and to really um, succeed in, in, in their community. So he looked at the psychological, he looked at safety, he looked at um, how they're being loved, being belo belonging, uh, self-esteem, um, and all of that good stuff. So um, the first level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is focused on the psychology needs. So it, or the psychological needs, excuse me, I think I said psychology, but psychological needs. So um, psychological meaning food, water, warmth, rest. That's your basic needs. Um, the second um, level is the safety needs. So security um, and feeling safe. Um, the next level is the belonging and love. So that partnership, that, um, that connection, the friendship um, to either their, their family or people around them, their community, um, the esteem. So this is looking at 
um, feeling accomplished? Like, do they feel proud of themselves? Are they, um, are they able to look at themselves and, and be proud of the things that they do and are who they're becoming? And then actual um, self-actualization. So this is achieving one's full potential, including creativity, um, different actions, things like that. So it's that self-fulfillment. Um, tell me a little bit, you, you just really talked about the psychological needs. Tell me a little bit about how homes like yours created a safe environment and how were you able to partner with the families to help them in, engulf that? Well, you know, once they get into the program, uh, the first 30 days is a settling because they have been out of sorts for so long. Yeah. Is mm -hmm. trying to get them to understand number one that they are in a safe place. Uh, confidentiality was of the utmost, not only with my staff but with the uh, the residents that resided there too. They could not let other people know that they were living there when they were there. There was no boyfriends or uh, outside relationships. Mm -hmm. The key factor was on them and what they needed to do to strengthen their abilities to be productive parents again. And so they, like I said, they had a, a the first 30 days was a settling. Um, once they, and they have uh, 30 days, you know, that it's a blackout. You don't get to really do anything. We don't take your phones or anything, but you are obligated to get up in the morning, make up your bed, to do a routine. Yeah. And we see if they could follow that routine for 30 days. And believe it or not, some women, refused to follow that routine they thought it was too much yeah and, and you know if you can't do something and make it a habit for 30 days mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in the program uh one particular young lady uh would get up in the morning and she would never make up her bed mm -hmm. so the first five days is observation we're looking to see if you're going to clean your room make up your bed just do the the regular uh things that you would do every morning absolutely and, one morning I just asked her, why don't you make up your bed? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes because she was about 19 going on 20 and she was having her first baby. She said, my mother never taught me how to make up a bed. Mm. I said, why is that? She said, she's in prison for 25 years. Mm. So, uh, and we never had discussed her mom. I wasn't one of those type of people to push. So when we would have our one-on-ones, I would say, when you're ready to disclose to me about your background, mm -hmm. you're more than, you know, more than willing to share. And so yeah. the other day she gained my uh, trust. And so when I showed her how to make up a bed, Believe it or not, she was so excited about making up a bed. She'd always make up her bed, and it would just be like perfect. She didn't want anybody sitting yeah. on her bed. <laughs> you know, it's just those little bitty things. Uh, yeah. The second thing is not only teaching them how to clean their room, make up their beds, but also to find out what they would like to do. Do you want to go back to school? So we were connected to SCC, SFCC. Uh, mm -hmm. If they wanted to get a, a trade, we would try to find something where they could, you know, go to a trade school. Yeah. Uh, the, the third thing was making sure that they were healthy. What What is it that do you need anything? Uh, is it something that we need to do for you and your children? So it was just mm -hmm. little key components to give them stability in yeah. the home. And so yeah. the first three months, amazing. Some women make great strides. And then 
about that six month, they thought, okay, I've been here six months. I'm ready to go. I'm getting out. And they weren't ready. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, I'm telling them, okay, how, do you have your housing? Uh, is case management working with you? Uh, we try to find you employment assistance and legal services while they were in the home. Yeah. Some of them were like sponges, whatever they needed. They like, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. Simple thing. Women had not lived in Spokane a long time. How do I catch the bus? How yeah. do I make sure that my kids get to school? Uh, even the mere fact of doing laundry, folding clothes, making sure that your kids are clean, going to school. That was one of my, I, I was like, when you send these children out, you're not only representing yourself, but you're representing fields of diamonds, house of blessings. Yes, and yes. so when people found out, oh my goodness, you know, this is a home where we would, that I would have so many people on the waiting list. We would have to turn people down because we could only do yeah. uh, one, two, four women at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Up to six children at a time. And I think you said something really key here. I don't want you guys to miss this. So everything that she's talking about is exactly what Maslow is talking about, which is looking at those psychological needs. How do you help teach them how to provide those things for their kids if they've never done that? How do you help them provide an environment that is safe? What does that look like? How do they do that? Those are all the key pieces um, to just meet those basic needs for a lot of kids that may be in a homeless situation. Um, a lot of kids, I remember even just starting, you know, when I started doing a lot of the educational pieces there, I remember kids would really be standoffish or they would be completely out of control. Like their emotions were just all over the place. And I think one of the things that you have to remember as an educator is if you're not asking the right questions to families, you will not know that someone is in need of something or um, that child may struggle with certain things because of the situation that they're in currently. And so if you are this is like a really good example just even for me as an educator I've walked into situations and I've addressed things a certain way but then when I actually realize like oh this child can't do this or this child ha has been dealing with this then I'm like oh my goodness why didn't I ask before I started just making a pathway or making an action for a child and so it's really hard but you have to take that extra time to talk with families and then also to create a plan with um, other educators and that child because they are going to be going through a lot of different things and they may not feel that security and that trust and that love and they may be feeling a lot of different emotions and you have to be prepared for that as an educator um, because it can be very difficult when you're dealing with a little one um, who is struggling due to their home life. Um, one of the things that I'm worried about in our community, um, that programs will not be cut and services will not be cut because those programs and services that are here in Spokane, they help strengthen the family. Yes. Resiliency. They protect families from circumstances and conditions which can put them at risk and, 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 to, and can be effective. So one of the things that my heart and, and I'm trying to get back into community is to make sure that there are programs that if I find out that I can relay those to other people, because if we teach skills that promote positive child parent relationships, mm -hmm. we can reduce the rates of abuse and neglect because yes. 
will have resources, they will have programs that will prevent and even reduce uh, childhood exposure. And, yes. and, and I always like the African pro uh, proverb that says, you teach one or you reach one to teach one. Yes. Because if you can teach one about how to end homelessness in their a current situation, they can break that generation cycle of homelessness and break that cycle of abuse. And that's why in our home, we were trying to show, and not just trying, but we did, is that this is what you can do so that your child will not be exposed or be an abuser themselves. Absolutely. Um, programs and support families, it's strengthens and gives healthy children yes oh my goodness you you said something so key there mom um you know there's so many big problems and these little people who are trying to figure out how does the world work um they need to know that their community is is actually around them and they are um championing for them and they're active in the community um, one of the areas that I've always been really curious about, um, just in the, the, the couple, last couple of weeks as I've been putting this program together, is, you know, we've talked a lot about homeless um, women that have children, but there's a flip side of homeless fathers that have children, and really there's nowhere for them to go. Um, they, uh, a statistic shows that an astonishing 73% of families will be turned away from from shelters and they're forced to separate from their children due to the different structures in the um, the shelters. There is a website, I wanna give them a shout out, it's called Invisible People. And um, there is a great article called Where Do Homeless Single Fathers Go? And I think in our area, we need more um, shelters that cater to homeless fathers. One of the things that was mentioned into um, this, um, this article was talking about how families would start to become homeless because of illness, because of death. Um, a lot of people are one paycheck away from being homeless. So if your spouse that has a two parent or two income household, um, passes away or they become ill, you instantly go into poverty and you instantly have situations that are going to take place that are going to negatively impact um, your child and your family and, and different things like that. Um, it's really hard um, to forget, like, you know, um, forget that there are homeless fathers out there that really need somewhere to go. Um, and they're forced to give up their children because they don't, they're the wrong gender. I hate to say it like that, but basically you're the wrong gender. So you don't get a, you don't get to be in a shelter. Um, speak a little bit about that. Cause I know you and I have talked about that before, mom. Um, what are your thoughts and what are some things that you feel need to be done um, to help support children to stay with their, their father if their mother is absent? Well, we look at, yeah, we look at it like this. Homeless families are just that. They're still family. Mm -hmm. And fathers love their children. And so I think in our community, there needs to be a courageous conversations about how do we help homeless fathers mm -hmm. be reestablished without giving up their children because they don't have a place mm -hmm. uh, where their children and a father can go, yeah. especially when there is a father and a female child. Yes, yes. Uh, it's 
hard to be uh, in a in a place because they could be exposed to so many things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that uh, someone would step to the plate and say, you know what, we have a transition home specifically for fathers yeah. and their children, and it would be run on the same premises as it would be run for a a transition home for women and children. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like I said, they still need the resources. They still need the help. Absolutely. They still need to make sure that they're in parenting classes. The same thing that women with children need, so do fathers with children need. Mm. They experience homelessness. And it's, um, I don't know statistically how big it is in Spokane, yeah. but it yeah. still exists. That yes. it's still yeah. So we need to to, to maybe um, talk about and maybe look statistically in the future about how many uh, fathers or statistically how many fathers are in this community that don't have a place. They are either yeah. couch surfing or they've had to give their child mm-hmm. to a family member mm-hmm. while they try to get on their feet, and that's mm-hmm. that separation anxiety. That children will have, again, I'm being taken away from my mom or I'm being taken away from my father because I can't be with them because we don't have a place to be. And so that's something that, uh, and I think, you know, I've heard children say, you know, we have no place to live. Uh, Mm -hmm. What if something bad happens to my family or my dad because I'm not with him? And so, Yeah. yeah, it's a that really needs to take place. Yeah, and what you just described is absolute mental torture for a child. You know, um, there's a couple of kiddos that I've worked with and they've had to go on visits to see their families and things like that. Um, And, you know, they have been separated from their family, dealt with homelessness, and then they go to the visits and then they come back to like a learning center and then they're around all these kids that are talking to them and doing all this stuff. I'm like, that's a lot for a child to have to like actually process. I mean, even the mental health, um, um, situation that happens within a family member's head, you know, a mother, a father, or um, the next group of people that are really stepping up or had to step up is actually grandparents as well. You know, there's so many grandparents that are raising their children because, you know, the mother and father have left or they're not stable or they're dealing with mental health issues. Um, there's so many pieces that go into this um, when we're talking about looking at the signs of. Um, homelessness and how they negatively impact every part of our community. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've heard that during the early years, brain connections, they determine how children learn and yes. know and are formed. And it makes young children who experience trauma particularly vulnerable. Mm. Because I, I, when some of the babies that lived with us who had experienced trauma, there was an increase of sickness, mm-hmm. uh, development delays, they have mental health issues. Yes. Those are to adults, including anxiety and depression, chronic health conditions. Uh, some of our babies, one of our babies even had asthma because they had been exposed to trauma and, mm-hmm. and that the trauma triggered the asthma. So mm-hmm. they're exposed to so many things, so many things. And, and, and you know, I, I was reading statistically where it said the National Center for Homeless Education, it said more than 20% of homeless children ages three to six. Now we're talking three to six-year-olds mm-hmm. require mental health care for emotional wow. issues. 
Wow. 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 And then mental health issues are even more pervasive for school-aged children. And it's, an, it's estimated that 24 to 40% of elementary age children experiencing homelessness have some form of mental issues that will necessitate professional evaluation. And oh that is according to the National Center for Homeless and Education. Mm -hmm. Then it goes mm -hmm. on to tell us that the rate is two to four times higher than the rate for children living in poverty in wow. this age. So wow. the mental health issues among homeless population continues to increase at, at this children's age. And it's scary that you're talking three to six year olds who require some type of mental health care. Wow. And, yeah. and I, I this is like where I stand on my soapbox every single time. Early childhood education is such a prominent area. And I think a lot of times, and I want to make it very clear, clear I'm not against any, any organization or establishment or anything like that. But the same resources that are available for public school, they need to be available for private school. And I think one of the conversations that we're not having is that every child learns differently. Every child needs something different. And whatever way a child is going to be educated, those resources that are out there should be available. One of the things I always said is that, you know, we should be able to have access mental health counselors for our little ones because we can see when they are literally mentally in turmoil because of the things that they're going through and we can't even help them because we don't have the right resources or we can't get the resources or we can't afford the resources and yeah. so unless you're a part of a um, larger organization that is a tied to like ecap or head start which i think they do an amazing job but there's also a lot of centers out here that are doing amazing jobs too and they have some great teachers and we need to embrace that and so i think really us taking the opportunity to look at laws and policies and things that are happening in our community and vote on that. Don't just wait for it to happen. Make movement um, and take take action, you know? Um, I think that has been a reoccurring theme when we're talking today about what can we do? How do these things work? But the more we know, the more we are going to be empowered to make effective change. And it's more than just giving a child some shoes or clothes or food. It's about how do we heal the whole family, regardless of if it's a single father, single mother, two parent home, or any of that. I think that's just really important. I want to thank you guys so much for this, uh, taking the time to listen to this segment. Um, we have one more segment that we're going to be doing. Um, I hope you join us. This is an amazing um, series that we're doing right now. Big problems, little people. I want to thank you again for this, for you just taking the time to listen, you guys. Don't just take this information and just let it go through one ear and out the other. Do something about it. Be a person that makes action. Be a person that makes change in our community. And don't be afraid of the unknown. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to our second podcast, Big Problems, Little People. Join us for our next podcast where we will be discussing how can we make effective change in the three different levels of coaching with families, 
children, and each other. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Learning Project Podcast. This is our last portion of our series that we're working on, Big Problems, Little People. Um, I'm so excited about this. I want to make sure that you guys know, though, um, this series was actually developed by Sesame Street. And I was just really inspired by the videos that we're going to be looking at in our classroom that focus on um, the different scenarios that they have played out to help teachers, children identify their feelings, identify their needs, um, and just to give a really good outside perspective. Um, and so I really want to give them a shout out. Sesame Street has constantly developing and growing and figuring out how they can um, really um, help children be successful and be um, great community leaders and then also overcome those challenges that they really are struggling with. So um, I really am excited about this. And again, if you're interested in taking the actual training so that you can get Washington State Professional Developmental Hours um, for Early Childhood Education, it's also known as STARS, um, you can definitely do that. And we're going to be rolling that out here pretty soon. So um, let me know if you would like to do that and contact us. That way we can um, get connected and, and go from there. You can always connect with us on Facebook um, or you can go to our website, which is www.tlptraining.com. I would like to welcome our expert and our guest for this series of learning about homelessness and how it affects children, Ms. Stephanie Nobles Beans. Thank you again for joining me on our last portion of our podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been a very uh, good, informative time where we can share and help our community and dedicated to helping provide community resources and uh, to help our little people. Yes, 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 yes. Well, let's dive right into it. So we are going to be focused on three different levels. We are going to be focused on families, educators, and children. So for this podcast, what I want you to do is I want you to think in your brain of three different sections, and I want you to filter out these areas and figure out exactly where they go. So when we're looking at how do we coach or connect or mentor a person, I want you to think of a couple of areas. One, I want you to think about joint planning. This is a two-part plan. A lot of times when we're dealing with difficult situations, um, we need the partnership or the um, connection or the teamwork of a family that we're working with. And sometimes that could be um, the foster family, that could be um, the actual biological parents um, or the grandparents. I mean, anyone who is the primary caregiver for that child, you are going to need that joint planning. You're going to need that um, partnership. The next thing I want you to keep in mind as you are coming up with a coaching plan is the observational portion. How is this little one acting or reacting um, in class to others and maybe their environment due to the things that they're going through? 
the next thing that I want you to think about is an action plan or practice. What is it that we need to do continually so that this little one can be successful um, and we can really build up the family together? Um, the last part I want you to look at is reflection. So there's four different types of reflection um, out there. Um, you know, you could do like more internal reflection. You can look at uh, reflection about your practices. You can look at, ref um, you can also do different types of reflection about how you and your co-teacher are working together. Are you being consistent? Um, thinking about your conversation that you're having with the families or the guardian. Um, that is really important. And that's something I want you to keep in mind as we talk about reflection. And actually there's one more point that I want to bring up is the feedback. So, um, how are we getting feedback? So are you working with your center director? Are you working with your coach or your mentor or the program supervisor? Who are you working with so that you can get that feedback and making sure that all of your practices are effective and making true change? So please keep those things in mind as we journey together and we talk about um, the three different areas that we need to try to connect as much as possible. So, um, Stephanie, can you tell me a little bit about how educators can provide resources um, out there in our community? We're probably going to talk a little bit more about local community. So we're looking at Spokane area, um, but there are so many different areas out there and people listening to this. But we want to definitely shout out to shout out those organizations that are really doing some amazing things. And um, I would definitely love to hear about what you found on your side and who you actually work with um, to help um, families overcome different challenges. Well, first of all, I want to give a website which gives a plethora of information. It's resources for homeless. And it's spokanecares.org. And when you pull up this site, it talks about the statistics of uh, the homeless um, population here in our city. But I love this page because it has so many local organizations that we can refer people to, like the Chaz Clinic. Uh, there's mm -hmm. Crosswalk. Mm -hmm. uh, there's Daybreak, uh, Daybreak Youth Services. Uh, there's the Family Promise of Spokane, even Goodwill Industries on here. And when you go to each particular uh, piece on this website, it's almost like little business cards mm -hmm. uh, that you can click on and it will tell you uh, the different things that uh, are provided uh, with each um, resource. I mean, SNAP is on here. Uh, St. Margaret's shelter is mm -hmm. on here. So there's, there's so it's on and on and on and on. So uh, I think this is a wonderful site that people can go to mm -hmm. and get the information that they need. Uh, the other community resource is I love the YWCA. Mm -hmm. They have a uh, plenty of resources. Not everybody uh, has gone to the YWCA, but I think it's a place where community resources, there's counseling, there's legal resources, there's health resources, phone resources, and what I love about them, they even have uh, children resources. Because awesome. we're talking about children. Children need help, and parents may not know what to do in particular, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this organization has a crisis line. 
and they have other resources as well because what we're trying to do in our community is to make sure that families are taken care of yeah. and you know, when you have a little one and you're in crisis I love the Vanessa Behan crisis shelter. You can even take your little ones there. Yeah. Drop your children off if you just need to have a breather. Yes. I think that it's one of the most wonderful things because when you're in a homeless position, emotions get all flustered. Yeah. And the children are already subjected to trauma and then being re-traumatized. Uh, re-traumatized -tra re yeah. because mom is upset, dad's upset. And so I know that in the community, we have those resources to help uh, the families. And like I say, to, 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 to have the primary prevention to, to go upstream and help mm -hmm. when there's potential risk factors in our community. So I think it's good that we have those resources and those resources cover both families and children. I like That's that. What I like about uh, the Spokane resource that I just gave, and then the YWCA uh, has uh, uh, those resources too, because we definitely want to help support families, strengthen and become healthy, and, mm -hmm. and help children mm -hmm. um, in school. Because I, I, I was looking at a statistic not too long ago. It says when children are exposed to trauma, they are two times more likely to. I have learning disabilities. Yeah. So yeah. Those brains just can't function. Yeah. Children, it, I, I read somewhere it said that it children, homeless children are two times as likely to repeat a grade and mm. to be diagnosed with a learning disability. Wow. The impact of homelessness for our babies. And so sometimes we think kids are just acting up, you know, just being bad, but excuse me, but it's not. They yeah. are being mentally affected by the things that are going on at home. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was even thinking, I read an article where even when people become homeless, mm -hmm. we never think about the pets that they lose. You, yes. can't, you can't take pets into most homeless shelters. Yep. Mm -hmm. it, it only disrupts the family routines. <laughs> it, it messes these kids up. So children and families... Yeah who live in shelters, uh, they need to, to make adjustments, whatever they need to do uh, yeah. to get the family back re reunited together. And it's really hard. It's yeah. really hard. Just like we were talking about in our last episode about, about families, be, uh, fathers being denied going into shelters and the yeah. families being split up. So hopefully uh. the, 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 the resources that we give out will help where families can stay together. Salvation Army is one who mm -hmm. takes the whole family. They take mm -hmm. everybody. So yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. you know what? You brought up something that I didn't even think about. Um and I think that, you know, children losing pets and things like that are very very, 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 it could be very traumatic. And even for an adult that's been in a homeless situation when they lose an animal that's been with them and by their side 24 seven and, you know, doesn't judge them. It is so hard. Yeah. Um, it is so hard for people. And it's like a, losing a child. It's like losing a family member. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we have to definitely remember that. Um, one of the things I want to jump into is 
when we're focusing on children and we're looking at all of these different resources, there is another um, website I want to share with you guys. It is called um, the Center on Social and Emotional Foundations for Early Learning. Now, I don't think this is the only website that should be mentioned, but I want to start with this one because it's going to be one of the websites that we actually focus on in um, our training. Um, so I just want to let you know. So this is by Vanderbilt, which is a very well-known well university that has focused a lot on social and emotional skills and development and resources for children. So there's two point, there's two folds on this. So this is great for children because they have a section that's called practical strategies. And in the practical strategies area, you're going to find scripted stories that actually have different situations that may go on and how can that child deal with that. One of the things that we spoke about in our last podcast is the reaction that children have when they're in homeless situations. Sometimes they'll start to act out in class or they will be shy or um, they will start having like maybe little corks or ticks and things that they will do. Um, what I want to focus on is if they're having a lot of social and emotional issues and they're starting to like maybe show some anger or they're starting to show low self-esteem this is a great place to start um, a couple of things i want to remind you about this is when you're looking at the resource area there are tons of things that you can print off they have social and emotional charts they have charts to help kids actually identify what they feel um, a lot of times people only go with the three which is happy sad mad but there's so many other feelings that children have and so we need to be able to tap into that um, we have solution cards so like you know if someone's doing something to you and you're not sure what to do what can you do there's like eight different options for them and it gives them a visual and then you can actually talk about that I think a lot of times we are just speaking about things and kids are actually not able to um, like actually understand what we're saying and they need to have a visual that they can look at to help them process what we're saying and how we can make that connection so it's kind of like that that conversation in the text, how do we connect them together um, so that the children can really succeed and grow and develop. And then they have um, tools to help develop behavior and support plans. So they have observation cards. They have different case studies, which I think are great because then it will give you time to actually think about what you're reading and maybe kids that have the same um, situations going on and how can you help provide effective um, intervention for them. When we look at the teacher side, I want you to think about your reflection, okay? We need to take time to reflect on what we are doing, what we're saying, how we're interacting with families, because a lot of times families, and I think you can agree with this too, Stephanie, you know, um, a lot of times people will struggle with telling you I'm homeless because the first thing they're thinking of, you're going to call CPS on me, you know? Um, and so, so, you know, there's a fear there of partnership and that, and it's kind of ironic because educators are supposed to be people that can help you. But a lot of times people feel like they're there to, you know, they're going to, turn on you. And that could be really hurtful for the family and build a lot of mistrust. And so um, always take time to reflect, you know, reflect on how you are interacting with the children, how you're interacting with the family, how you're interacting with your co-teacher or another teacher, you know, think about maybe ideas and things that they're saying. Um, if you don't have 
any of those pieces in place, you're going to be going into the situations very blind. Um, all of the different resources that Stephanie had talked about, you know, do you have a resource list in your classroom? You know, can if someone says they're going through something, can you pull something out, highlight it and give it to them? Do you know your community enough to be able to speak about the resources that are truly there. And a lot of educators, we don't know what it is. We kind of leave it up to maybe like resource people or, you know, the director, but get involved with it and don't just be a bystander, be proactive. Those are the things that are going to help you grow as an educator and be more confident in what you do. Um, and, the other, and the other thing I'd like to interject is yeah, that we please. need to go through the lens of trauma. Mm. I think when people, uh, educate, I call them the three E's, when we empower, when we educate, and when we equip yeah. one another as educators, we, we can see through the lens of trauma and maybe pick up if something is going on with a specific child. Yeah. Uh, and, and not, I always tell it, don't prejudge, don't jump to the assumption. We need to do, a, do our homework. We need yeah. to investigate more it's not like oh i've got to call cps and oh god this is something going on and this child is doing something i think as we come down to the level of children and begin that courageous conversation with them yeah. and then be able to even approach the parents who just like you say they may be facing homelessness and they don't trust anybody because yeah. the first thing that they're going to say, you're going to take my child, but yeah. they don't know. I tell people, they don't know the sacred story. They don't know the journey. And how we do that is we ask the questions. We don't assume. We ask mm -hmm. questions mm -hmm. and not prejudge someone. They may have lost their job or yeah. like said, sickness, illness, divorce. So many factors that contribute to homelessness that we don't know that people are going through. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we need to sit down and say, okay, let's talk. How can I help as the teacher? How can I help as, as, as an ally? I, I tell people, I think being an advocate and an ally to people who are going through trauma is the most uh, courageous thing that we can do. Absolutely. Already hurting. They're already afraid. How can we intervene? Yeah. Increase the effectiveness of programs, improve participant outcomes with our parents and, 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 and facilitate recovery. Yeah. We won't continue to be homeless. Yeah. What can we do? What Absolutely. We yeah. I think you, you hit that right on the head. Um, and it goes great into our next segment here, which is talking about sample coaching conversations. So when we're talking about joint planning, one of the conversations that you could have with the family is our plan is for what you are, our plan is this for what you're going through. Um, since the last time we were together, you know, this is what we've seen. Um, what are your thoughts? you know, asking people about what are their thoughts. If they're saying, you know what, right now we're going from home to home and, you know, I would love for you to be able to say, you know what, we're going to go to grandma's house on Wednesdays and Thursdays. We're going to go to uncles on, you know, uh, uncles on Fridays and Saturday because sometimes kids just need to know what is going on. Um, and so being able to create a joint plan for the families, if a child is dealing with some social and emotional things and they're really str struggling with anger, 
really finding practical tools that they can get in their hand, whether it be, you know, um, they have like different calm down uh, bottles where they'll have like different kinds of gels and things like that within the bottle that will allow children to like take some breathing exercises and they'll be able to use that as a way to calm themselves down. Maybe it's setting up little Walkmans and putting like very soothing music in a little calm down caddy. I used to have one in my classes um, long ago and in the calm down caddy, it had like um, a little um, calm down bottle and it had like a sensory bottle basically. And it had different things in there. It was just really soothing to look at. Um, soothing music that they can listen to in their little Walkmans. Um, Play-Doh that has lavender, if your state allows it, I think that is key. A lot of teachers don't use make Play-Doh, but I'm telling you, this is the one thing you want to do is make that Play-Doh and put it in there. And then let them know, like, if you're feeling some kind of way or if you need something, you can go over to this Calm Down Caddy and you can grab whatever you want. It could be a teddy bear. It could be a blanket. It could be a weighted blanket. There's so many different things that you can add into your classroom to help a child learn those self-soothing that self-soothing process. The next thing that you want to do is when they are doing maybe some of those transitions and they're having some different issues, you know, observe. Let's try this. That's a conversation starter. Let's try this. I've seen that we've done this in the past. Maybe we should try this to see how it will work and let the families know that, you know, this is going to be trial and error until we find what works for your little one. Um, also think about reflecting on each time that you do something, you do that observation, you do that action, observe, take time to reflect on what, how did that work for that child? Because there may be things that work great for one child and you may need to do something for another child. Um, and then also ask the child how they feel when they do that. Because when you ask a lot of open-ended questions and reflexive questions to a child, it's going to give them the power to think about what they feel, how they feel, and then they're giving you feedback, which is that last point on what they experienced. And so, you know, as educators, we are required to make judgment calls and say what is right and wrong answers, different things like that. Um, so much that I think our brains are completely trained to that and our brains need to be trained a little bit different and we need to alter our thinking so that we can think about how can we help develop our families, our children, and um, yourself as an educator. Is there anything you want to add in there, Stephanie? Well, all I can say, this has been very uh, a very good podcast, and I think it's very informative, not only for educators, but for the listening audience. Yes. Who may be having some issues of homelessness, or they may know someone who is in a homeless situation, mm -hmm. and that they can say, you know what, this podcast gave us some information. Yeah. Uh, I think having information in your hand is powerful yep. because it makes you, it, it gives you, it empowers you to say, you know what? There are some resources out there. Mm -hmm. There are some educators who do care because yeah. the fact is homelessness is an issue, uh, not just uh, in, in other parts of the country right here in Spokane and yeah. I think as educators we have an obligation we have a responsibility to help those less fortunate than ourselves and not just uh put a label on them saying oh you know they they're 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 homeless because of uh, xyz we don't know the sacred story and I think it's important mm -hmm. that we ask not only the important questions but also have some solutions 
Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That, I, that's you guys. I hope you got a lot from this too. This was really awesome. I'm super glad, glad that we're doing this. I'm sad that it's ending, but I want you to know you can reach out to Stephanie Nobles Beans on her website, www.stephynoblesbeans.com. She is a great speaker. She goes and speaks everywhere. She does workshops. Um, she's going to be opening up this new class um, that's going to be focusing on how to build a transitional home. So if it's something that you're interested in, um, definitely um, reach out to her as soon as possible. And as usual, you can reach me at The Learning Project. Um, you can reach me on Facebook or you can go to our website, www.tlp training.com. I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out to make a difference in your viewpoint and just take time to reflect on what you actually just learned. The learning project is not just about children learning. The learning project is about the teachers learning about themselves so they'll feel empowered to teach and push forward in this hard journey. Anybody who knows um, in early childhood education in any educational field, it is hard what we do. You know, there are times where we feel like I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. This is not worth it. But then something inside of us tells us that we can do this. We, it, it is worth it. These kids are worth it. And I want you to know that the more you invest in yourself, you're giving yourself more ammo, you're giving yourself more strength, and you're giving yourself more power. Knowledge is power, you guys. You know, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to one of our first series on Big Problems, Little People. I am your trainer, visionary host, Stephanie Courtney. Again, thank you guys so much for being change makers. Bye.